0: Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for the people that are gathered here. I thank you, Lord, that you want to use us. Matter of fact, not only do you want to use us, Lord, we're going to see today that you're going to give everything we need to be able to promote your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that not only would we read this, but Lord, that we would grasp it. Not only that we would grasp it, that we would apply it. And the Father, that we would be your church, that we would be the people that you are calling us to be, uh, that we would be about your cause, about uh, your work throughout this planet. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we're going to see what God is doing. And Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, and uh, he's going uh, to discuss a great deal about the church. Particularly in verses or chapters two, three, four, <coughs> and so on. Um, but last week we did we looked at you know uh, what is the church what what is this group of people and today we're going to see does God supply all of our needs does He take care of everything we need as the church. And if you have your Bibles, you should be in Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put it for you up on the screen. But as you're leaving today, we have what we call the Resource Center. That's kind of out there in the lobby area. And uh, there's going to be some volunteers there, and they would uh, love to get you a Bible if you don't have one. We would love to bless you with that so that you have that uh, for your week. Um, Verse 7 in Ephesians chapter 4 says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And we look at this, and this comes after six verses in which I could dive into and spend an entire hour on the first six verses. But the first six verses ultimately get us to verse 7 where it says that each one of us, you can insert your name right there, uh, your name goes there. Each one of us sitting in these seats, if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, each one of us has been apportioned to us gifts, a measure of Christ's gift. And that is... Gifts, And so what is the gift that Christ has given? And I know that all of us, we naturally look at this and we go, well, God's greatest gift to us is his son, Jesus. And we ultimately look at salvation. We go, that must be the gift that he's talking about. He gives us salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And that is true, but that's not what Paul is implying here. What Paul is applying here is he's saying this, that in his church, that God's church, he gives gifts to everyone there. So if you're a part of his church, you're the people, you and I are the people. God gives gifts to his church. It means that he gives you and I everything we need to be able to accomplish the purposes for his church. You're like, I don't even know what that means. I've got gifts. Okay, I've got some talents. I've got, you know, I've got a variety of things that I'm good at, but I don't see how that applies to the church. No, what we see through a variety of texts, and this one supports it, is that throughout the body. God has apportioned to people different gifts. They're called spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts, they are not for everyone, they're for his church. They're for people who have given their lives to God by faith in Jesus Christ. And when you give your life to him, then what he does is he takes you and he makes you a part of the vine. He makes you a part of God's family. He makes you a part of what he's accomplishing through his church, a part. He grafts you in, he adopts you as a son or a daughter, and then he, he gives you gifts. And those things are spiritual gifts. And there's a list of them in Romans chapter 12, uh, verses three through eight. There's another one in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, eight through 11. Uh, and I don't have time to go through all of those today, but there are many gifts. And here's the guarantee. If you are a Christian, you possess at least one of those spiritual gifts. Many of you will will possess two or three of them and you'll see that you're stronger in others than than some other people around you. Well, here's the idea. There are some of you in this room that you're kind of behind the scenes people. You really don't you don't want a real focus on you. You don't really like the spotlight. You're kind of a pinky toe, you know what I mean? And and you're like, "Hey, I'm fine with being in the background. I don't have to have any real uh, notoriety or success give me a little pat on the back every now and then and other than that I'm good there are some of you that you're the voice like you want to speak you want to teach you want to uh, you want to really be a part of what's going on and and there are some of you you exhort truth and you teach and and that's a great thing that's a gift from God there are some of you that you're compassionate and you have the gift of mercy I don't really have the gift of mercy okay um, I'm already dunking on my little three-year-old I'm like you know I just don't have mercy and so There are some of you that you're merciful, and we need you. We need people that have mercy. And so every single one of us, regardless if you're a hand or a a foot or a pinky toe, whether you're an eye or a mouth or an ear, you're needed. Why? Because God gives gifts to everyone within his church, the people, and the church is only best when every gift does its part. Like, speaking of the pinky toe. There's a lot of you that you didn't even notice the pinky toe today until you got your coffee, and it was hot, and it tasted good, and there were a variety of creamers back there, and there were an array of donuts to choose from. May not like blueberry, but you love it with the chocolate glaze on top. There are people that have been working since 6:30 this morning to prepare, and they're not ever seen. They're very rarely recognized. What you came today to do is what? Here's some preaching, and what? Have a few people sing songs, and we seem to be the mouth, and those are the people that oftentimes get the most attention, but I'll tell you this. If, if your pinky toe is broken, you hobble around your office, and everybody's wondering, what in the world is wrong with you? And it's because the pinky toe is what? Broken. Every part matters, and here's what you see right here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. Every part matters. Every part is essential to the building up of his church. Why? Because God apportioned and measured those gifts. He distributed them to us. Who did it? But to each one of us, grace has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Look at verse 8. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. And what? And gave gifts to men. And so he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. And he quotes Psalm 68 there. And in Psalm 68, what you see is a psalm of David. And it was a declaration of what would happen after war. And after a war, a good king, after they had plundered someone, they would take all the spoils of war and they would divide it among their people. And they would give gifts to them. And what this is implying, and Paul takes a little quotation from Psalm 68, and he implies that a good king who has authority will take gifts and supply everyone's needs. Jesus does the same as he conquered death, sin, and the grave. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 says, O death, where is your sting? There is no sting of death. Why? Because not only did Christ overcome death, sin, and the grave, but when he did it, he also became the authority in giving gifts to his church. And so just as he has the power to overcome sin and death, he has the power to give good gifts to his church. Are you all catching that? Yeah, yeah. Like that's pretty significant. So what it's saying is, is that God is not interested in merely dangling a carrot of salvation over your life. He doesn't want you simply to say, oh, I'm saved by God's grace, now I can go live out however I want to. Because when he overcame death, sin, and the grave. He didn't do it merely so that you could have heaven. He did it so that you could have salvation in Jesus Christ and live out the fullness of his gifts to the church. So meaning that if Christ overcame everything, death, sin, and the grave, then you can't sit merely in your seat soaking everything up because he's given you gifts to use within the body. And he did it as he overcame the spoils of war as he overcame Satan and all of his foes. And so he needs you. You're important to the body. You are a part of his church if Christ lives in you. You have a part to play. Verse 9 says this, What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to go fill the whole universe. (coughs) My belief is that this has a variety of meanings. I think you can get caught up in a few of those meanings and what all it has to do with. I think uh, some of it is regarding Old Testament saints and uh, kind of their transition. You see Abraham's bosom and some of those things as you kind of explore that. I don't have a whole lot of time to go into that. But here's what this text emphatically means and what Paul is implying here is that Christ is the chief authority and that he has as the king of this world at the universe overcoming sin, death, and grave. He has the ability as he ascended or as he descended and as he ascends in his resurrection, he has the power to give all these gifts to the church and they're important and that's the idea. Then in verse 11, you see something else that shifts. He says, verses seven through 10, he says, everyone in the church has gifts. Then he says in verses 11 and 12 that he's actually going to provide people to help what? Equip his church. He's going to provide leaders to equip his church. And so look at verse 11. It says this. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. So the idea here is this, is that God created offices through Jesus. Matter of fact, in verse 11 it says, and he... So who is he? That's Jesus Christ. Who is it that established the offices of the church? Jesus. So you mean that if Jesus is the one that established the offices, then it means that men can't reestablish the offices? Shouldn't be able to? Can I just quick, quick, quick rant? One of the greatest tragedies in the American church is that men have reestablished the church and its leadership roles. God did not create deacons, elder boards, to lead the church. He created deacons to serve the church. He created a group of elders to help help the office of pastor-teacher to be accountable to the church— But the idea is this. Deacons are not meant to sit and hound pastors and put red tape over budgets. Deacons are not to control the financial obligations of the church. Deacons are not supposed to run pastors off because they don't agree with everything they do or essentially don't agree with how they would run the church. Because here's what I know. If God called you to be a landscaper, he wants you to landscape well for the cause of the glory of Christ. Amen? If he called you to be a coach, then he wants you to coach kids in life or in basketball, in Jesus, or in softball, in Jesus, or in football. If he called you to be a doctor, he wants you to not only provide for the medical needs of people here, but he also wants you to show, what, point to the very doctor that can take care of all needs. If he called you to be a pastor, he wants you to lead within the church. The question is, is did he call you to be a pastor? Or did he call you to do something different? And so what's happened in our churches is is that we've taken the offices that Jesus established and we've rearranged them. And when you rearrange the offices that Jesus established, guess what? The church will not function correctly. You may not know it, but it won't function correctly. I could give you a variety of churches that I've seen over my tenure in ministry. It's not extensive, but I've been in ministry for about 15 years. And I've been a part of churches that were pastoral-led. I've been a part of churches that were deacon-led. I've been a part of churches that were committee-led and driven. And here's what I'll come to tell you. The churches that allow the cult, the people that are the leaders of the church, to lead in a way that's healthy are the ones that grow and they reach people and they accomplish the things that need to be accomplished within the church. The ones that red tape pastors and and their staffs and leaders are the ones that they bicker and they fight. And they would rather squirmish on inessential issues rather than what? Make God famous over the essential issues. And so the question is, is who established these offices and what are these offices for? Well, Jesus established them. And so he says, there are some that are apostles. The apostles were guys that were sent out some as prophets, those are the ones that proclaim God's revelation. There's a lot of debate as to what this means. I can tell you this um, prophets and apostles, in the sense of today, are not like they were in Paul's day. And so, uh, when Paul is, he's pretty much the last apostle. Revelation, as John wrote is the last revealed Word of God. There's no additions to the Word of God. We don't get to do that because there's not apostles and prophets in that sense anymore. There may be an apostle of people who go out and they're for the cause of Christ, but not in the sense of what Paul says is the foundational elements of the church. Now, there are, what, evangelists, and there are pastors and teachers. Pastors and teachers, I believe, are one office, so I think there were four offices. Originally, I think there's apostles, I think there are our prophets, I think there are evangelists, and I think that there are pastor-teacher combo. And so do we have evangelists today? Absolutely, some really great evangelists. One of the, the most noted uh, evangelists of this day and time and still living is Billy Graham, who spent his entire life going forth, and what was he doing? Proclaiming the message of the gospel, and he was simply evangelizing. He was proclaiming God's good news to the world, and he went all over the world. And then you have this idea and this office of pastor-teacher. And the Greek word there is poimen, and the word for those is simply this. You have someone who's a shepherd. got me? And so the question is, is okay, if you've got this shepherd and you've got evangelists right now in the middle of the church and you've got some going forth, you've got others that are staying close to home, so what is their role? If God's giving gifts to everyone in this room that's a believer in Christ, And then he's created the offices and established them for his purpose. What exactly should a pastor, teacher be doing? What exactly is our role? Look at it. It says, verse 12, he's established these offices for the equipping of the what? The people. In the New American Standard Version, or New American Standard, um, it says uh, that it's the saints. He's equipping the saints. You and I, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a part of the church. You're people, or you're saints. And I know that many of us in here are like, oh, no, I'm no saint. I get, And I get it. I know. like We have a very difficult time regarding ourselves as saints. But what the Bible tells us is that as believers, we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy people, that we have been chosen in Christ, that we are growing up in Christ. And we're not a saint because we have our life together. Okay? Because if... There's not many of us that we feel like we live as Mother Teresa did. You know. There's not many of us who are going to sell all of, all of our possessions right now and just go live among the poor. The great news is, is that you don't become the people of God or a saint of God because of what you've done. You become a people of God or a saint of God because he takes your sin and places on the burden of Calvary on Jesus' and the shoulder, and, and then he imputes Jesus and his righteousness to you. That's what makes you a saint. You're not a saint because you've showed up to church for three weeks in a row now. Oh, We're almost there. We've almost gone to church for a whole month in a row. That's not what makes you a saint. What makes you a saint is that you were once a sinner and you've been set free from the law of sin and death, that you've been given new life in Jesus Christ, that he lives in you and among you, and he is your God and you are his people. He's adopted you into his kingdom and he's living in you and among you and he's equipping you through his offices, through pastors and teachers. And so oftentimes here, this is one of the common complaints I hear about at some point, is that y'all's standards are too high. And honestly, like, like that's the one of the most daunting things. And I have more conversations with people about, I don't know that I can commit to what you're wanting me to, because I don't know if I have enough time. That's the common, like that is, I do more lunches, more conversations, not on salvation, not on biblical beliefs, not on statement of beliefs, but you guys seem to require a lot. You want us to connect to God in a personal relationship, following baptism, and be connected to the body on a weekly worship habit. You want us to assemble together weekly. Yeah, that, that's right. That's what the Bible says. Then you guys want us to get in a journey group. That's a whole other time, and, and then you guys want us to... You're talking about authentic relationships. You're talking about accountability. You're wanting to, me to share my story with people. You're wanting me to do Bible studies with people. I don't really have time, and I just don't know that I can commit to all of this and get in a journey group because that's not all. You all also want me to serve. You want me to find a place and serve, and I don't even know where to serve. I don't, I don't know how to make coffee. I don't even like coffee. I don't like donuts because I'm a vegetarian. Okay, fine. That's great. I don't like kids. What do you like? I love Jesus. Okay, well, help us park a car. Help us say hello to someone. You're like, I just don't know if I have time. I mean, it's just a lot. It's demanding. Because not only that, y'all want us to go about inviting people. And I don't even like talking to people. What do you like? Because Jesus says that we're the hope of the world. And that people ought to be attracted to us. And not only that, but he says, I'm giving you gifts to use in the body. And the body is essential to making Christ famous. He is so concerned with you. He is so concerned with you not staying where you are that he even gives pastors to help equip you and not let you stay where you are. And oftentimes, listen, I think if we're not, if we're not, if we're not careful, I think we look at it and sometimes we're greatly offended Because you keep hounding us about making steps forward. Can I explain something to you? The reasons our standards are so high and the reason we keep hounding you, the reason we keep asking you to get plugged in is because we are the equippers. I am, listen, I have one job to do and that is to equip the people. Equip the saints. Why? Look at it. For work of service. Like, my job, like, I, I know that sometimes as shepherd, you wonder what my job is. My, my job is not to beat the sheep, okay? Because if we think of a good shepherd, like, sometimes just hitting the sheep over the head, right? And oftentimes, you may feel that way. Like, I mean, some of you, you came from a good old Baptist church, you know, and you didn't feel good about yourself unless they just totally yelled at you. Demeaned you, you walked out of church, and you felt about an inch tall, and you were like, praise God, that must have been good. Because they yelled at you and yelled at you, and you're like, oh, that's what I need. I just needed a good old whooping, you know? But do you remember what Jesus said to to Peter? He said, feed my sheep. So the goal is not to beat the sheep. It's not to guilt you into something. The goal is to feed you so that you're equipped to do all good works for him. That's the goal. And so... The reason we feed you, the reason that we want to get you plugged into work of service is for the building up of the body of Christ. So let me ask you a question. Does your role matter? Yes. Do the gifts that you have, do they matter? Yes. Do you oftentimes look at yourself and wonder, I don't know that I really have gifts. And as our church grows, I feel kind of lost. I kind of wonder, is there really a place for me? Yes! If you're having a difficult time finding your place, will you come see me after this service? I will make a list of anybody, and I will make it my business this week of making sure you get plugged in. Need a journey group? Come see me. Want to find a place to serve? Come see me. Matter of fact, if you want to find a place to serve, here's something we're doing next week. Next Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock, we are actually going to equip people to get into serving within our body. We're going to have a a training for all areas of our service. If you want to get in, plugged into that next weekend, four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, come and be a part of it. Okay? Pastor Brian, he's going to lead this training. His one job here at our church is to connect people in service. Meaning, He wants to get people plugged in using your gifts. You go, well, I don't even know what my gifts are. Well, hey, that's good. We have an assessment that will take about an hour of your time. I know it's challenging in an hour. I don't have an hour. Yeah, you do. And at the end of that hour, you'll know your spiritual gifts and how they should fit within the local body of the church. We do that. If you want to be a part of that, then hey, don't miss that next week because that's how we equip you to serve for the building up of the body of Christ. Got it? So God, hey, he gives gifts to everybody and he gives leaders to help equip you in those gifts. Yes? Then look at verse 13 through 16 because this is what he wants. God desires for everyone that has a gift and is being equipped in the gift to do their share. That's what he wants. Get this. Do you know how we measure the standards of a church? Here's how we measure And maybe I'm wrong, but this is how we oftentimes measure the standards of a church. Did he preach a good message? Was he on point with the word of God? Could I agree with it all? Was the music good? Did it fill me up? Did I leave with kind of a warm feeling in my heart? Can I go back? Did they welcome me? And those are all really good things. But I promise you this. Today, God is not looking down on us saying, man, golly, that band... They got off key one of those songs. and it. it hey. <laughs> praise God, he's not concerned about that. And they never get off key anyway, right? Because they, they do such a great job using their gifts. <laughs> but here's the thing. He's not up there going, man, Brandon, I think you really should have really exegeted. Some of you are like, I don't even know what exegeted means. You should have really made that point a lot more clear. You know what God is most concerned about, according to what Paul's writing? He is most concerned and he looks at the church based off of this standard. Not the standards that you and I have created in our culture, not whether it's pastoral-led or deacon-led, not whether or not the people have the power or the pastors have the power. That's not how he looks at the standard. The standard is: is are each person in the body pulling their weight? Are people there doing their share? The churches that were most effective and the ones that weren't warned in Revelation are the ones that were effective all the way across the board. The ones that were warned were the ones they might have had good pastors, but their people weren't doing what they were supposed to. It might have been good church overall. They might have been compassionate and caring, but they were lukewarm in their faith. And when it came to essential doctrinal issues, they were easily led astray. And so what is it that God's most concerned about? God is most concerned about you and me as parts of the body. He says, I'm giving you a gift. I expect you to use it. I'm going to give you pastors and shepherds to help bring you along the way so that you do your part. And He's more concerned about you doing your part than watching someone on TV. Matter of fact, this would beg the question, can you really be honoring God within his church, pick whichever one in terms of local bodies, but can you honor the universal body of Christ, the church, by simply watching TV and enjoying church at home? My argument would be no. And the reason why is because you have no real shepherd, you have no real equipper, and you're not being able to use your gifts while you sit on the couch. And you're like, yes, I can. I am drinking my shake and having my coffee, and I got my Bible right there. I'm using all the gifts I got. I got my own hospitality at home. No, 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 no. that's not how it's fit. It's meant for the building up of whose body? Christ. And so look what happens in verse 13. It says this. (coughs) He does that to prepare God's people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He says it is when you know the standard of which God lives by. We talked about it last week, briefly. We live by a code. There is a certain standard that we live by. And the reason that we attain to the full knowledge of God, the reason that we have a code, the reason that we're equipped is so that we, what? Attain to the unity of faith. What is the unity of faith? And see, many of us, we go, well, you don't fight and bicker in the church. No, that is important, but that's not the unity of the faith. Here's the unity of faith. The unity of faith is this, is that God has given you fixed points that are called truth. Truth. And the question is, if somebody asks you, what is truth today? Somebody would say, well, I don't really know what truth is. Because when it comes to philosophy, we're sending our kids off. There are many right now that are freshmen in college, and their eyes are about this big. Because they've just run in, in the first week, of a philosophy professor that's given them six different books to read, and every single book that they read will actually contradict the book before it and the book after it. And they're wondering, if I'm to believe philosophy in this day, do I take on the the beliefs of Plato, in which he says, gather all the knowledge from men that you can, and then make a logical conclusion? Is that the goal? That you would believe in this relative truth, that it doesn't really matter what they say or what they say? It doesn't really matter what anybody else says, because in this day and age, I've got to determine what truth is for me? Because that's relativism. And so what God is saying is to hold to the unity of faith is that you would have a fixed point. You know, it's not ironic that God has actually fixed some points in the sky. You know, there are some stars that you look at and they never move. There are some constellations that every time you walk outside, every evening that you look up, the Big Dipper is going to be right where the Big Dipper always is, isn't it? The Little Dipper is going to be not too far below it, right? Every time. Is that going to happen next week? Yes. Is it going to happen the week after that? Yes. Yes. Why? Because God does not create things by accident. He always gives His people fixed points of truth. And He gives you a fixed point of truth in the Word that you don't need the philosophy of this day. You don't need psychology of this day. You don't need politics of this day, of which many of us wouldn't agree on. Like, what do you want? Do you want communism? You want a monarchy? You want a republic? You want a democracy? What do you want? Because every single one of us would disagree on it, right? I mean, ultimately, there's all these different opinions. I mean, when it comes to economics, I mean, what do you want? Do you you want Marx? Do you want Smith, the wealth of nations? I mean, what do you want? Because all of us in here, if we're looking for truth that way, we'll make up our own. But what he says, no, the unity of faith is when truth is no longer subjective. You know what subjective is? Here's subjective. Let me give you a... There's many of you that you're going to walk away today and you're going to go, man, the music was too loud. Where we've got a group right here on the front row, they're like, man, we wish they would turn it up. It's subjective. Everyone in here has an opinion. When it comes to the unity of faith, the word of God is not subjective. We don't get to interject. We don't get to come up with our own plan for living. We don't get to come up with our own plan of marriage. We don't get to reestablish what man and woman relationship is. We don't get to reestablish what the world says about anything. Why? Because there's a fixed point called the unity of faith, which is the word of God, and which establishes all things for living that we need. Is the code of ethics on which we live by as the church. And here's the interesting thing. God cares about how much you know about the church and about his word. Why? Because there's many of you, look, as it says, okay, that are needing to become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, meaning that you need to look more like Christ than what you do now. And many of us, we're being tossed as what Paul says, look, then we will no longer be infants or children, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. He goes, there are many of us that we look more like children in our infancy than we do mature Christ followers. The tragedy is that many of you have been in a church for 30 plus years and you don't know God's word. Matter of fact, the soon as somebody says, hey, I got this atheist at work, you shudder. You're like, oh, no, an atheist. Can I explain something to you? An atheist doesn't know what they believe. An agnostic doesn't know what they believe. They have no real fixed point of truth. And so a mature Christian growing up in the knowledge of God, guess what? When you have a fixed point of truth and you can go, no, I respect your opinion very much. But when the Bible says this, and then you can prove that not only does the Bible say that, but the Bible is true, that there is no point of science, there is no point of archaeology that could disprove this one book right here. Then guess what? You can count that as a fixed point of truth and which grows you up in the knowledge of God's word. The problem is that we don't know it. We don't live by it because we don't know it. And the parts that we really don't like, they don't fit into the own own knowledge of truth that we've created for ourselves, and guess what? We disregard, don't we? Anybody ever done that? Okay, they say don't lie in church, okay? so yeah, Yes, it's easy to do. And so we're tossed here and there by the waves of deceitfulness. Why? Because we're children and we're not mature. Do you know why? you and I as parents protect our children because children are naive, yes? When the ice cream, come, tr- ice cream truck comes down the street, guess what? They are ready to bolt, aren't they? Yeah? Yes, they can hear it coming. Let's, do, let's go, let's do this. And in that moment of seeing and hearing an ice cream truck coming, they disregard every other thing you've ever said. Because they've got their eyes focused on one thing. And so they need your protection and they need your discernment. Because in that moment, when their eyes get really big and they hear the sound, they can just begin to salivate because they can taste the ice cream in which they're thinking of. And they disregard everything else that you have said. And that is what happens with infants when they're tossed here and there. When children are no longer being trained, they oftentimes succumb to the things around them. Is there deceit in this world? Yes. Is there craftiness and cunningness in this world? Yes, and that's what Paul warns us against. He says right here that you don't want to be blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. The idea, he he just takes several ideas here and he stacks them on top of each other. And the idea of deceitful scheming is the word kubios, where we get the word cube from. There might be something that you remember playing if you were back in your gambling days called dice. And you'd throw a little cube. That's the idea. The idea is, is that you would do everything you can to win and your deceitfulness. And the idea of deceitful and crafty and cunning people is they give you half-truths. They give you enough evidence to to draw you in, but they can never give you concrete evidence or proof. What they hope is, is that you're not on your A-game and that you succumb to the things around you. That's the idea. And then it says, and deceitful scheming. And the deceitful scheming, the word there is the word methodia. Methods, they use a variety of methods. They use sleight of hand. They use illusions. They don't want you to see. They use what? Smoke and mirrors. And that's what oftentimes when we're talking to people about their faith, they use smoke and mirrors. They give you just enough to confuse you. And if you don't have a fixed point, a constellation in your life called the Word of God, then you'll easily succumb to whatever it is they're, t- they're telling you. And that's as what Christians, mature people in the body, using our gifts and being equipped, we ought to be able to stand firm. Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in him who is the head that is Christ. What is it? to Grow up in him. Yes? Yes? Yes. Grow up! That's the idea. Grow up in him. Grow up in him. And when you grow up in him, it means that you can have hard conversations and you can do it the right way. You know the, the people that oftentimes are the most demeaning, the most rude? The most difficult to live by, and they call themselves Christians, are the ones that really don't know, oftentimes, how to live out the word of God. They may know knowledge, but they not live out the word of God. How do you live out the word of God? You speak truth in love. And oftentimes, that's what happens in the detriment of our churches, is that there's a lot of people that know how to speak truth, right? Don't necessarily live by the same truth that they speak of, but they speak truth. They may be right, but their, what, methods are all wrong there's some of you that like you're here at stone point and to be honest with you like somebody's been inviting you for quite some time and you've wondered should i go i mean really is it going to be beneficial are they going to be just like everyone else am i going to feel judged when i walk in the door are they going to look at me weird are they going to are they even going to talk to me are they going to be rude and mean to me like so many other places have been And our prayer is no. Our prayer is is that you would know that there's a place for you here that you can use your gifts, that you can get plugged in and be equipped and grow up as mature believers in Christ Jesus. Do we have high standards here? Absolutely. And you know why? Because one day I'm going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm going to be accountable for a group of sheep. Sheep. If you know anything about sheep, you know it's pretty hard being a shepherd. Yes? Yes? If you're wondering the challenge, let me buy you a few and give them to you for about a month and then report back to me. It's not easy, and the task can be burdensome if you're doing it in your own strength. But the bottom line is, I have one call on my life. One call. And that is to equip the sheep for every good work so that the body of Christ may be built up so that you would be prepared that when you go out these doors, you are not merely going, man, that was a good message, and man, those songs were great. I think I could come and be a part of this because I liked that. I pray that you would evaluate this church on one thing, and that's it. Are my family going to get equipped here? Have I spent the last 20 years within a local body, and I don't know the word? Did we produce and send out kids in our youth ministry and they don't know their Bible? Are they coming back at their freshman year Christmas break and going, hey, I just don't know if I can believe in a God. That's a problem if they grew up in the church because they're not being equipped to use their gifts and to grow in the knowledge of God's word. And when they get out into the real world, they're getting chewed up and spit out. And that's a problem. It's a problem. And we as parents, we need to get on the guard. We need to get on the attack. And we need to do everything we can because it's not just the church's problem because the church is not a pastor. The church is a people. You are a people. And the thing is, there's many of us in this room that we sit here even in this moment and we're like, I don't know exactly what it is I believe. And my prayer is is that you would be built up. You would be built up in Christ, the one that is the head of this body. Amen? Church, let me just pray for you. And uh, before I do, I want to ask you one question to consider. If Christ was about awaiting you as a part of his body, the church, we're all members of the church. I'm not talking about membership here. I'm not talking about because you've gone to starting point. Okay, scratch all that. I'm asking you, if God... Looks at you as a member of his body, the church. How well are you doing? Are you using the gifts that God's given you? Are you plugging in to make sure you grow up in Christ? Are you being an essential element to making him famous in your life and within the local body of what he calls the church? Are you? And if not, why not? Is it because you're busy? Look, I know we're busy. We live in a day and age of busyness. But the the bottom line is, is when God evaluates his church, do you think we're going to be able to stand before him as our local body and go, hey God, we we had great intentions, but we were just busy. I don't think it's going to work as a believer in Christ. And so as a believer in Christ, may you be built up, may you grow in the faith, may you be strengthened in that faith. And would you overflow with thankfulness? Colossians 2, 6 and 7, that's the goal to be built up and to overflow, that's my prayer. And so the question is, how are you doing? Let's pray together. I'm gonna give you just about 30 seconds just to kind of think about that on your own. Father, you have created the church, a people led by you to do great things throughout this world. A world that's oftentimes led astray, that has no fixed point of truth. A people throughout our planet that's gathering information to make up a finite conclusion of what they believe truth is. And Lord, we cannot as finite people people who are flawed and messed up, we can't define truth. Truth has to be defined from you, a God who created all things. Not only did you create all things, but you create all things to be used for you and your glory. And Lord, one of those things that you established and and helped create was the church. And when you overcame death and sin and the grave, when you took away the sting of death, and you gave us victory through the hope of Jesus Christ, you kicked off and you established your church, an organism in which you love. You gave your life for it. And you set aside your people, a nation called Israel, and you, you raised up a ragtag bunch of imperfect people called the church. And your goal is to equip us for every good work. You've given us gifts. You've given us leaders to help us grow in those gifts. But Lord, ultimately you're concerned with how are we holding up? Are we unified in our faith? Do we know truth? Are we growing in the knowledge of God's Son? Are there a standard in which we become a mature man, a measure of stature in the fullness of Christ? Are we just being tossed about? Are we we looking more like mere infants or children? Are we naive and are we easily led astray? Or do we stand firm? Lord, my prayer is, is here, we would be known for high standards and for standing firm. God, I pray, I pray, I pray, I beg you, Lord, that we're not known for charismatic sermons or for good music. Because, Lord, if we hear a good sermon and a few songs, but yet we're tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine, then, Lord, we've missed the mark. And so, Lord, may we not miss the mark, but may we grow up in all aspects. May we look like you. May we be a mere reflection, a mirror of Christ Jesus. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Lord, help me. Lord, help our leadership team to equip people to look like you. May that be our goal. May that be the very heartbeat of this body. Verse 16 says, From him who the body, being fit and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper work of each individual, Or what you're seeing on screen, if you're looking, it says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting limit, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The goal of the church is that every part does its work. And that, my friends, is the goal of this body, that every part would do its work. We love you, the church. We love every one of you in this room. And Father, we love you. Amen.